Thank you for calling TCQ Video. We are currently undergoing renovations. We are due to open October 6th. Until then, listen to the following menu for your options. 1. To dispute outstanding overdue charges. 2. Upcoming new releases. 3. The hottest new candy selection. 4. To be directed to the Carpenter Queen podcast. Leave a message after the tone. Message box 4. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be... Mama Mia, here we go again. Mama, how could I resist you? Hello. Oh, hello there. Welcome back to the Carpenter Queens podcast, coming to you live from the TCQ video store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. We're going from Traumatica to Chromatica. My name is Nicholas. Yes. Come on, season two. Y'all wanted a twist, eh? Let's get sickening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two. Wowza. <laughs> it's reunited and it feels so good. So good. Congratulations. Wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, I hate you. How was your summer vacay from the store? Even though really for us it's really not. It wasn't it wasn't a vacation whatsoever. We had a couple weeks off and that was about it. Um the break was great. I got to do some spooky stuff, which we're actually gonna get to. It is officially the start of spooky season. Uh, at least as of this recording. I think by the time we release this, we're gonna be well into the spooky season. Mm-hmm. But as of the recording, spooky season has begun officially. And our correspondents will be reporting on that later. I'm so stoked. So over the break, everyone, our store has received a facelift, a new paint job, some fresher expiring candy, and we have widened our selection of movies. We now offer family-friendly horror. It is right next to the adult section. So watch your kids. I'm not responsible for those little shits. Yeah. First of all, don't be bringing your kids in here. It smells like Blue Dream and patchouli incense. Oh, not patchouli. I I cannot stand patchouli. All right, Dragon's Blood, whatever. Besides our store getting an upgrade, we've also leveled up our social media accounts, which you can follow on Instagram at The Carpenter Queens and on Twitter at Carpenter Queens. There will be updates as well as a new home for our Slice News updates. We will do special announcements on the pod, but updates and videos will be broadcasted on the Slice News updates, which will be exclusive to social media. It's going to be its new home, and I'm super stoked with the new stuff that we're going to be doing with this Slice News update. <laughs> Your but favorite we- uh, section of our pod. It's just fun to say. It is so fun <laughs> to say. Not only that, we will do special segments on the pod, but for now, it's going to live on our Instagram. Instagram, so please follow. Ding. 
for our brand new season, we are starting our first month back with a brand new theme. Our rentals this month are our Halloween Horrors Month. <laughs> Thanks, I came up with that one. We are two final girl wannabes that are horny for Halloween. That means mm. watching films bring the Halloween spoopy vibes. It's pretty much an excuse for us to pick whatever we want for the month of Halloween. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Where we do whatever we want. <laughs> Before we begin this brand spanking new season, we would love for you all to leave a comment and rate the podcast. If you love what you hear, hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming. Thank you, everybody. It helps spread the word. We get new interaction. That's all we want to do. We're hoping to interact with you guys more during season two. So I'm super stoked. It's time to move on to this week's recommended rental. Without further ado, let us begin the sequel season of our pod with one of the best sequels in horror. Let's pop in this VHS copy of the legendary 1997 sequel, Scream 2, directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Did you really call this the best sequel in horror? I love this sequel. Do you want to get into it? Because I will fight you. We're about to. Hit the trailer, <laughs> bitch. Coming soon to own or rent on video cassette. Let's get down to business. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. What are you talking about? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to make a successful sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. Carnage candy. we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Well, let's look at the suspects. There's the obvious boyfriend, Derek. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Forget the boyfriend. It's tired. Who else do we got? There's Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay. Let's move on. Listeners, Scream 2 is available to be streamed on HBO Max. Besides that, this flick is only available to purchase or rent. Honestly, you should just own the whole quadrilogy. Since we're going to get Scream 5, just titled Scream, I still have problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're trying please. to do what like Halloween did. I don't know. First of all, you should own it. Secondly, if you don't, you should definitely have an HBO Max subscription because they... They've got quite the selection of horror bangers on there. Highly recommend. It's so good. Yes. Before we keep raising HBO Max's consistently <laughs> amazing streaming, let's head to 420, which is smoking. What did you smoke for our season premiere? So for a season premiere, uh, we picked up from our local grower, Canadike, and we got quite a few special goodies um i think i'm gonna save the other goodies for later on in the season um but for <laughs> today's episode uh, we bought moon rocks and oh, for those who are not uh weed savvy moon rocks are essentially like nugs of weed that are dipped in what would you call it like concentrate yeah a pretty strong form of uh THC in like different types of form like a liquid or like a mm -hmm. paste. It's just some really strong stuff and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. So they dip the nug of marijuana in that and then they roll that in keep. Which is 
pixie dust that comes off of your grinder when you grind mm. your stuff and it's delicious please please try please please uh go listen to, go listen to our 420 episode to become savvy <laughs> like us uh but anyways uh it is called grape jelly they are grape jelly moon rocks oh my god that sounds so friggin tasty bitch they are so good and they are so concentrated like literally when i light it in the bowl and like you saw it earlier when i was smoking it flare it up magic trick come on chris angel (laughs) i'm a magician chris angel could never are you ready but what did you pair with this week's uh screening oh my goodness so like you i kind of been trying to get my good stuff especially for an occasion like this look at the store look how beautiful it is by now our new logo finally dropped and i hope everybody loves it i think it's gorgeous i love our new logo you popped off sis y'all Thanks. give nick a round of applause thank you he is our graphic artist and i am thoroughly happy with what you came up with like everything everything got a facelift everything mm-hmm. just got a new shiny new lens and so with the shiny new lens i thought hello i need to celebrate so i picked up the citral suite is what it was called like I got chills just thinking about it only because (laughs) (laughs) the the nug itself when I took it out of the jar like instantly when you open a jar and it's just that good good hits your nose it's just like (gasps) yes and your mouth starts watering and it's just mm, yes delicious Mm -hmm. but when I the same reaction you have when you open like the lid of a bucket of fried chicken oh my god any food (laughs) quite honestly (laughs) but when i went to go grab the nug jackie was sticky like it still stuck to my hand when i picked it up stickiest of the ickiest when it's super sticky it just i love it It the the aroma is so much better and the high is so nice there was a a second there though where i was i didn't realize i was caught in thought and what i thought was 30 minutes of my life that passed was just like two minutes (laughs) (laughs) those are the best I love getting like lost in that, and you're like, how long have I been sitting here? And you look, and it's like two minutes. Like, oh, I'm good. (laughs) Let me take another hit. I'm good. All right, put your doobies down, everybody. It's time to talk about this week's movie. For season two, we're going to talk about the sequel that was extremely anticipated. But before we begin, let's go into the behind the scenes featurette and figure out how this movie was made. Scream 2 released December 12th, 1997. This year, it will be celebrating its 24th anniversary. So next year, it's 25. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. We have a runtime of two hours, and we're going to move on to our taglines. Taglines. There's a killer on campus. Making more calls, making more kills. Scream again. Gorier, sexier, funnier. Someone has taken their love of sequels one step too far. These are sleek. These are quick. And I don't mind them playing on the first movie because that last tagline was uh, the tagline from Scream 1, right? Uh Uh-huh. Someone has taken their love of horror movies too far. And now it's their sequels. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yes. Self-referential. I like that. Uh Uh-huh. I like the gorier, sexier, funnier. uh, That's when I remember. It gives me uh, uh, TLC vibes. <laughs> What's that album called? Crazy, Crazy sexy, sexy, cool. cool. Uh-huh. Uh, Scream Again is probably the weakest win out of all of them. Actually, so is There's a Killer on Campus making more calls, uh, making more kills. I don't like that one either. I think it's because it's too simple. I think the other ones, they're, they're fun, they're sleek, they're meta. It's the ultimate meta movie. Hello. Vertigo. 
it slowly becomes like the dragon that eats its own tail <laughs> within this <laughs> franchise. Uh huh. I, I cannot wait to talk about this one because. So, listeners, we try not to talk about the movie before we start recording. We want to save the magic, the essence. So, mm, but mm. so far from what I've gotten, I think we might be arguing <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> Yet again. <laughs> All right, let's start breaking this bitch down. Oh, wait a minute, bitches. Moving on to directed by our infamous Wes Craven. This will be Wes Craven's third time gracing our podcast. And do we really need to explain his resume? Welcome back, Mr. Wes Craven. We miss you. We adore you. R.I.P. R.I.P. Written by Kevin Williamson. Another that needs no explanation because we can. Or you can go back and listen to us talk about other Kevin Williamson scripts like Scream 4 and Curse, which happened to be quite the fan favorite that came out of the (laughs) shadows. It's it's low-key annoying because I <laughs> did not enjoy that movie and it brought on so many people out of the woodwork. I love I love how many people came out and were secret curse stands. <laughs> I loved it. We I stand with you. <laughs> we stand with you, brothers and sisters. It's time to join the club. Join us. <laughs> For our cast, and we will put this in alphabetical order because this cast is ridiculous. It is like, oh my God, it's still going. (laughs) I'm scrolling through. It is peak late 90s and early 2000s hotties. We have through a speed round. David Arquette as Dewey Riley, Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers. Joining our second go around is Sarah Michelle Geller as CeCe Cooper, Jamie Kennedy coming Woo! back as Randy Meeks, Lori Metcalf as Debbie Salt, Elise Neal as Haley McNeil, Jerry O'Connell as Derek Feldman. Uh, just a quick pause. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant as, as Mickey, Jada Pickett Smith uh. as Maureen Evans, Leave Schreiber as Cotton Weary, Louis Arquette as Chief Hartley. Dwayne Martin as Joel joins Rebecca Gayhart as Lois <gasps> Portia DeRossi as Murphy Omar Epps as Phil Stevens <laughs> Steve- <laughs> Tori Spelling as herself and as Sydney Prescott in the film within the film Stab Luke Wilson as himself and as Billy Loomis Heather Graham as Casey Becker and finally rounding out the cast is the ever sexy the ever fearful and the ever elusive ghost face voiced by roger l jackson i still okay. never seen that face hold the f- <laughs> this cast they went and i remember specifically because we've mentioned before that we watched that scream documentary several times before it's like a several it's like a two-hour documentary we've seen it several times and i remember specifically in that movie the casting director from Scream 1 was also brought on for Scream 2, and she said that they were giving a much bigger budget and more, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, permission to have more fun with the casting, which mm-hmm. is why they had fun with the casting, not only for the cast for the actual movie, but fun with the casting for the film within a film. Hello, Tori Spelling, Heather Graham, and Luke Wilson. That shit was hilarious. It's st- it still makes me giggle. Hello, I'm wearing my stab t-shirt today. I Ew. love the stab film within a film. Way to just go, you know what? We're going full meta and I full camp, bitch. Full camp meta because I can't wait for us to talk about stab. I'll save my feelings and our fun facts about stab 
till we start talking about it. But look at this cast. This is like a who's who of like mm-hmm. early 2000 hotties, late 90s. Lori Metcalf. Sarah Michelle Geller, hello, Buffy herself, Lori Metcalf, Jerry O'Connell, Jesus, mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant, everybody, everybody, Jada. I for, it's not that I forget. Jada Pickett, it's just her presence on screen is just like every time she's on there, she's so stunning. She is. So, mm-hmm. Look at the bones, baby. Look at the bones. The bone Get the structure. Shoes, on baby. Her. Get the shoes. Get the shoes. <laughs> Get the shoes, baby. Get the shoes. Yeah, I agree. This is a stacked ass cast from the opening to the very ending. There is a hottie from the 90s, early 2000s. It's so good. It's so good. Moving on to reviews. IMDb gave it a 6.2 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 63 out of 100. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 81% on the tomato meter and a 57% audience score. Are you surprised by these scores? Yeah. yeah right? I'm very surprised. I'm not surprised by the audience score, LTL Shade. I'm very surprised by the tomato meter. I'm surprised that critics like this so much. Really? Yes. Do we want to get into it? Because we can fight about it now. Like, I'm. I, I mean, I, we I can. can. <laughs> I brought the Vaseline, bitch. Let me just fight my hair. This is not a great sequel by any means. It was in production hell. The script is garbage, mama, and it shows. (gasps) Like they were writing the shit as they went. They were. They were doing that. Okay. And then all they and then all they did was kill all the black people. They did. And which is my freaking biggest problem with the beginning of this movie because they want to talk. They mention it for a very, very <laughs> brief molecule of a second of of black actors occupying spaces within the horror community, but then they immediately kill all their black actors, and then <laughs> and, and then it's just, uh, and then I have a big problem with Sydney's best friend relationship because I love mm-hmm. Sid. We love Sid, but we'll talk about it. I disagree that this isn't a good sequel i think because of the badness that happened with this production and what we eventually got i actually i i kind of love this movie it's i love it more as an adult than i definitely did as a teen when i if i were to rank this movie as a teen two was usually at the bottom of my list Mm -hmm. now i would say it's raised up to middle like there's still stronger contenders of course in the spring franchise but I think this doesn't get enough merit, and I'm hopeful that I can sway you when we talk about this movie. Okay. Try and change my opinion, bitch. We'll see by the end of this episode. <laughs> so let's move into production. Our budget was an estimated $24 million, which is a huge leap over its $14 million that we got last time. I believe it's actually mm-hmm. technically $30 million, but multiple different sources, multiple different answers, but our box office opening weekend of 32 million and a gross worldwide income of an eventual 172 million dollars. This baby made some money. Money, honey. This is why it spawned several more sequels. Another which is coming out next year. We still haven't received anything and I'm very upset. We're about four months out. Where y'all at? Where Where you been? (laughs) Talking to you. Talking to you. (laughs) Moving on to the script. The hell that is the script. Oh my god. (laughs) So, (laughs) when writing his script for Scream, Kevin Williamson also created two five-page treatment plans for potential sequels. 
With the mega success from his script, Dimension Films agreed to push forward with the sequel in March of 1997. The timeline is extremely important. This is especially important since the film was not greenlit until March, with the film still being released in that same year in December. The turnaround time and the development of the sequel is legendary, much like the entire franchise. There's always a problem. <laughs> There's always a problem whenever these movies come out because I cannot wait. Eventually, it is in our future to talk about Scream 3 because that mess of a problem is that could be a whole season's worth of dedication. Because <laughs> they're making about. another goddamn rewrite. <laughs> Keep timelines in the back of your brain, everybody. So by the time the movie moved forward, Williamson had already written about 42 pages of the script. But by July, an event took place that would alter production. A dreaded internet leak. The early ages of the internet still managed to suck the fun out of everything, and the full script was leaked. The reveal of the killers and the large portion of the script was shown. This would result in production moving ahead into filming with only a partial script. Many alterations would take place. The internet always does this and they still do this. Why do people like to ruin, especially movies? It's crazy to me that this happened in 1997. Like I can't, like this is, hello. Like in most people's opinions and quite honestly my own, and like the internet really didn't like start and really take you'll like take the lead until like 2007 2008 maybe yeah i would say though that like it was a steady climb it was a very steady but i think it really like hit the gas run in like 2007 2008 my opinion anyways um i can't just can't believe that 10 years prior to that like this shit happened like the internet was still ruining everybody's fun back in the 90s like way to ruin the fun but because you mentioned that how many people were aware of this? Like, how many people actually were aware yeah. of this leak? Only but- people like us. Who <laughs> <laughs> weigh on hand and foot. But, like, how many people knew that it had to alter everything? This is just... Because from here on out, it just... Honey, you've got a big storm coming. Because <laughs> all of this is just bonkers. But I do have to state... According to an interview conducted in 2017 by Dread Central, Kevin Williamson is quoted as saying that the leaked script was a, quote, dummy draft that was created to avoid said leaks. He stated, quote, They were worried the killer's identity would be leaked, so we wrote several endings, three in all if memory serves. And when actors and potential crew members asked to read the script, we would send the script with the dummy ending. There was even a fake ending where Dewey was the killer. They existed as a decoy and nothing more. Extreme measures, but we really wanted to keep the killer's identity a secret. I don't want to, like, I'm not saying you're a liar, but, like, that feels, like, fabricated to me. Because yeah, from everything that we've known and we've, we've, we're big, we're big ghost head heads in the in the house. That is <laughs> ghost TCQ face video. heads. Ghost face heads. That is, that is TCQ video. What? Like, I don't believe that. I believe that the the script got leaked. I don't believe that either, because if you really wrote all these dummy scripts, how did the, like, correct script get leaked? Like, if you're only sending out dummy scripts. I smell a star. Because then you wouldn't have the production problem that you had if there was dummy script. Does that make sense? Sort of. Regardless, if that script, like, when that script got leaked, I should say, 
I would have just went ahead with it. But like, you know what? You f***ed it over for yourself. Now you already know what's going to happen. So you're still going to buy the ticket because you're that type of girl I knew you are. And <laughs> you're going to go watch our movie and you ruin the ending for yourself. You have no one to blame but yourself. Fun sucker. So, <laughs> so I want to talk about these dummy endings because one of them in particular is so fascinating to me. In the same interview from Dead Central, the ending that everybody is mainly aware of whereof the first leak is that the killer was going to be Mickey and then it was also going to be Haley. So Haley and Mickey were going to be the killers and that was the big one. So, okay, it continues and it divulges because this would have then turned, there would have been a reveal that Debbie was still going to be one of the killers. So that was still there. But then Debbie takes out the other two and they die. But then suddenly Cotton Weary comes up and then Cotton, instead of, spoiler alert, alert, we're going to cut to the ending right now. Instead of not, instead of killing Debbie, he decides to side with Debbie and kills her and becomes this movie's fourth villain. So there's there's going to be four villains in Scream 2. And then what? Uh, He was going to try and kill Sydney and Sydney was going to overcome Mama. Mama. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot, girl. It's a lot. Four? Four killers. It's too much. It's It's far too much. Like I said, this whole script debacle is a hot poo-poo mess. It's not the first time we've talked about it. There's always, like, anytime we've talked about Amiramax, Williamson, Craven, plus... Um, Weinstein enemies of the podcast the Weinsteins Mm -hmm. there's always something there's always something and this is just that something because let's talk about production you want to talk about production oh you want to talk about hot messes let's talk about production (laughs) (laughs) during the run of production Kevin Williamson was both trying to rewrite the new script but also running his uber successful television series you might have heard of it it's a little show called Dawson's Creek all right, that's all we can afford. We're gonna get sued. <laughs> because of this, Craven had to take the reins and write quite a few of the parts in the script. The Greek tragedy is infamously Wes's addition. Of course, he would add some sort of like Greek tragedy to it. He's such an old white dude. Oh my god. <laughs> However, when it came to casting this ever-evolving script, it was extremely easier to get hot stars involved in this project. Who's who of young Hollywood came flocking to want to star in the hot new film? The biggest drawback from the scorching hot cast was that they were all at the top of their game in the business. Securing the schedules was difficult, and this was especially true when it came to Sarah Michelle Gellar, who had just finished filming I Know What You Did Last Summer, another Williamson project, but the extremely popular Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Laurie Metcalf had just finished her nine-year run on the popular sitcom Roseanne. I was gagged to see Laurie Metcalf in here, and especially as a villain. And girl, does she crush it in every single way. I adore Debbie Salt, and I can't wait for us to talk about her. I adore uh, Laurie Metcalf. She's so good in everything. The main three players came back for the sequel, even though Nev Campbell was already signed on for the second film. So, I mean, hello, she was going to come back. But with this stacked cast, they quickly moved into a hectic run into principal photography. With the film moving directly into shooting, production would not give the last pages of the script to the actors until weeks of shooting. This was done to avoid any other, quote, leaks. The pages revealing the killer's identity were only given to the cast on the day 
the scene was shot. Excuse me? Excuse me? That is wild to me. Because apparently up to that point, no one knew who the killer was going to be. Nobody knew if they were the killer. And that shows in a lot of people's performances. And it's just baffling. Red herring, red herring, red herring, red herrings everywhere. You get a red herring, you get a red herring, and you get a red herring. Bitch, it's, it's I was like, a red herring in Scream 2. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. Because I was too. <gasps> <laughs> what kills me is just like, am I the villain? Am I the villain of this movie? I'm the villain. Am I the trade of this movie? <laughs> it's, it doesn't aid anyone's acting, and it's just... I can see why this movie doesn't done well with a lot of people, but I have to give credit where credit is due. This movie is way more well put together than what could have been with this production hell. I'm sure. I, it's not saying much, though. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the fuck does that mean? Uh, with the script, this would be customary for the rest of the large cast, as some were only given pages from the script and kept in the dark with virtually everything else. Apparently, during one of the photo shoot sessions when Tori Spelling was present, she was asking the cast, are you the villain? Are you the bad guy? Did you survive? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would, have been, that would have been me. I'm like, so who's doing it? Who's really the killer? So who, Did you die no, yet? Come on, who died? Stop, stop. Shut the f up. <laughs> my f tell me the tea. Chuck, slay her. Read her. Sipping on that true tea, hunty. Scream 2's filming would take place over a nine week shooting period beginning in mid June 1997. They would film in Atlanta, Georgia, and Los Angeles to represent the new location of Windsor College, Ohio. The opening scene featuring a stab premiere was filmed over a three-day period at the Vista Theater on Sunset Drive in Hollywood. The sorority homes used were filmed in Pasadena, and the stab films being filmed in Malibu, California, and directed by Robert Rodriguez. I'm gagged. I forget it every time. Every time his name pops up. I f***ing love Robert Rodriguez. Even the really bad stuff, I'm sorry, it has to be stated, but I still love Robert Rodriguez, and I love that he did this, because this makes sense. It's Dimension, and Dimension and Robert Rodriguez were, like, besties. Mm. Is that my bestie in a Tessie? For the post-production process, Craven was wanting to avoid the same debacle he faced against the MPAA during the editing process from the first screen. To have a smoother transition, Craven sent a version of the film that had been hyper-focused on the gore and the violence, pushing it way beyond what he had originally envisioned for the film. This was to trick the MPAA into forcing Craven to remove footage they did not want to actually keep, thus retaining the elements they did want. In classic MPA fashion and being completely weird, they granted Scream 2 an R rating from the movie's more violent cut as they believed the underlying message of the flick was significant enough to warrant the violence. They ended up cutting the film anyway to be what they had wanted, but that sounds like the MPAA. My film yes. is not, my, MPA, my movie's fine, and they're like, no, change everything. My movie <laughs> is horribly violent, and I did this on purpose. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. The kids will love it. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. It's the 90s. The kids are used to it. Oh shit. my God. The amount of times that that line was stated in this movie, it's such a 90s thing. That's so 90s. It's the 90s. <laughs> Downsize, Bill. It's the 90s. I knew you were going to do it. 
Finally, for our fun facts, the script itself became so secure after its leak, the actors and those involved had to sign non-disclosure agreements and gagged from saying anything. On, <laughs> on top of this, the script itself was reprinted on specialty paper to prevent photocopying or writing on it in any way. At some points, it was destroyed after use. In one instance, Elise Neal recounted her last audition for the film. A copy of her lines were sent to her by delivery, and within an hour, someone was knocking on her door to retrieve to retrieve the pages. That's crazy. It's, the lengths they'll go. But what fascinates me that this is 1997 and this is Scream 2. Imagine what it's like now for like Avengers shit or like exactly Marvel shit. What it, I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what they do now for like Marvel movies and shit like that. Bitch, you have like a guard watching you read the script and you have to uh-huh. read it in a room and you have to give up your firstborn child in order to even turn the page. It's like, yeah. You have to give it up to audition. <laughs> we are going to pretend we didn't hear that. Before we head to our feature presentation, let's stop, go grab a snack, and listen to a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back after these messages. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome back to the Stabathon. We open at the Stab movie premiere. Phil Stevens and Maureen Evans are waiting in line discussing movie tropes and discussing Black representation in cinema. As they make their way into the theater, Maureen continues about how much she hates these movies and is even given a promotional Ghostface costume sent by the studio. She continues, And look, it's white. <laughs> like, it's not the vibe. Stop! I love this opening. I I love this opening of them waiting in line at this dope, dope ass stab premiere. I love this huge prop that they have built out. I wish movie theaters would do this. I really wish oh my gosh, like I movie know. studios still wish just I wish they still did stuff like this. They built like a huge stab hand prop that's like coming down, and then they're giving out free ghost race costumes. It's so cool, and it I love me this. Of, um old school like movies like uh the dark castle movies anything to Mm -hmm. do with like vincent price where they would do like gimmicky shit this this Mm -hmm. is dope this is dope but i'm gonna let it be known right now i hate this audience i hate oh yeah this audience but we'll get to there when we get to there but i agree this is a great opening and immediately we get into the meta-ness of it Mm -hmm. all like without even skipping a beat it's wonderful yeah, we jump right into the Kevin Williamson script of them dissecting horror movies and these tropes and how uh, Jada Pinkett would rather go see, or actually I think Omar Epps says that she would rather go see like a Sandra Bullock movie. I love, I love this opening. But as the young couple makes their way into the theater, they quickly realize the entire audience is rowdy with excitement and is already wearing their complimentary costumes. The movie quickly starts and the film studio has pulled out all the stops for this premiere. It's filmed in, <laughs> quote, Stabovision, which is essentially just some lights, black lights and Spencers. And after <laughs> the couple finds their seats, we cut to Stab. Uh, this device is the best. This is the best device. I've uh, okay. Agreed. Where do I, where do I begin? Besides the fact that stab itself is hilarious, I love almost every line that's cut out of this movie, especially when Tori Spelling comes in. But Heather Graham in this wig, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wig, okay. No. I also love all the like artistic kind of slasher shots of Ghostface, like him in the the, (laughs) the uh, skylight. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's so good. It's fantastic. What's my favorite line that she does? You know, I don't even know you, and I dislike it really. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. The bad part is, is I don't know if that's Heather Graham like really giving it, or if she's aware that this, like, this is what. The oh no, she is. was delivering, honey. <laughs> she thought that this was uh, considered for for your consideration. <laughs> But the audience itself, so I talked about it. I hate this audience. Sit yeah. down. I'm trying mm-hmm. to watch a new movie, but everyone's no. like at a Rocky Horror like showing. <laughs> this is the wrong audience because y'all are rowdy for this shit. This is the premiere, y'all. We need to pay attention to what is going on here. Don't get me wrong. I love an enthusiastic audience. I love an audience of fans that are that love the, the material and are there because they love it. And so I don't mind a gas. I don't mind a scream. I don't mind a jump. But when you're like in costume and full geesh and face stabbing your friend and like knocking over popcorn buckets and throwing shit, no. I would have watched at the front desk and be like, you either calm these bitches down or give me a refund. I'll take the matinee at 11 a.m. tomorrow with the early birds, bitch. Death to all of them. It was a free premiere. You, there's a- I still want a <laughs> refund. <laughs> Let me speak to the manager. <laughs> this is, I, I love the setup. I love the setup. I mean, I get it. We need the rowdiness. We need these ridiculous yeah. audience members in order to make this plausible. So that's where I give it a pass, but I would hate this. I would hate, mm-hmm. I would be having a horrible time. I would be Even when I was stuff. their age, like that wouldn't have been fun for me. <laughs> I'm going to the movies. I want to see the movie. Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us. This isn't fair. He didn't get out of the cock duty car. <laughs> but I digress. Like you said, we, it's a plot device. We needed it in order to mask the killing that was going on there. Whatever. I guess it works. Sure. On the big screen, Stab tells the story of the Woodsboro murders, starring the one and only Tori Spelling. Phil and Maureen watch half-heartedly as Maureen shouts directions at the screen, frustrated with the movie characters. Maureen goes to get popcorn and soda, where she overhears other patrons stating that Stab is based on a true story, which continues to freak her out even more. When she returns with her snacks, only to be scared by Phil outside of the theater, he heads to the restroom as she goes inside. Okay. Okay. Okay, who jokes like this? Phil, I would have broken up with your ass so fast if you tried to scare me at this thing. Like, ugh. so my biggest frustration with Maureen shouting stuff at the at the screen isn't that she's shouting at the screen, it's that other people who are already shouting, tell her to shut up. <laughs> if that ain't the pot calling the kettle black, bitch. I've had it, and I'm so, you know what I have? It. It's too, fu- it's too fucking much. I'm like, she's not the loudest one in here. Like everyone around me is screaming. By a stretch, bitch, she's not the loudest one. <laughs> so like, that's where I get frustrated, but I also understand, I like Maureen's character. I wish we had more of Maureen's character. Speaking of Maureen's character, Jada Pickett-Smith was all over the marketing. They were trying to pull a second Drew Barrymore. Yes. It just doesn't, it didn't work in the same vein. Not saying that Jada Pickett-Smith isn't a big star, but it just, it's not the same ploy. It's like, you can't play the same trick twice like that. You know what I'm saying? I agree. I agree that they tried to pull the same gimmick and it it didn't work. I, I think because, I don't know, maybe it was a combination of them trying to reuse the same gimmick and them not really fleshing out. There wasn't enough tension in it for it Mm -hmm. to have been 
as iconic as Drew Barrymore's kill at the beginning of Scream 1. I fully agree. I fully agree. But I will state that this opening is my second favorite opening in Scream. This is the second one that I think of anytime I think of an opening. I barely remember third's opening. And fourth's ending is only really memorable because it's an opening <laughs> with an opening with an opening with another <laughs> opening. An enigma inside of enigma inside <laughs> of a K-hole. but like this one stands out for me i think it holds itself as a very good opening i don't think it gets enough credit this is fun this is fantastic i love the line give me your money i want to go get some i want to go get some popcorn you got some money i i know i got money i asked for your money money. (laughs) (laughs) yes we love the energy that's the energy I need at all times. And I dig that Maureen is actually frightened, but she just puts up a front. Jada Pickett-Smith is so good in this like seven minutes that she's got with us. <laughs> Suddenly I know it wasn't meant to be shade, but it was shade. <laughs> okay. Shady bitch. Sorry. Inside the bathroom, Phil tries to get some action, but instead is impaled with a knife through the bathroom stall and into his ear. I'm going to stop really quickly right there. Just because it's such a strange... It's so odd. Death. And also, who's getting freaky in the bathroom stall at the movie theater? No comment. But... Ah! Oh, wow. But what... So I'd never really picked up on it. I've seen this movie countless times. Countless f***ing times. But this time around, I listened to them with my headphones. I watched it with my headphones in. Mainly because John's working during the day. And I don't want... (laughs) While they're talking to someone... (laughs) So I had headphones in, and I also had made sure I had subtitles. Do you know what they say in the bathroom? Oh, they're actually speaking? They're actually speaking. Jackie, it, I could not believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, it's like, No, I'll be a good boy, mommy. I promise, mommy, I'll be a good boy. <gasps> and then Stop. That is why he puts his ear up, because he's trying to get, like, he's trying to get a little nookie-nookie. What? Like, it's so odd. And then the way he dies just doesn't make sense. How did they perfectly get it in the ear? I know. Wayo. Um, I didn't Ew, know. Why are you doing it in the ear? Listen, there's a lot of reasons, okay? Don't. You did. Um, I didn't there's, realize. Still that... half a version. <laughs> I didn't know that they were actually, like, speaking. I just thought, like, you were hearing, like, giggling and kind of moaning noises. Um, that's weird. I didn't know that. Uh, and I also agree the whole, like, stabbing in the ear it's just a really strange way to kill somebody and also would take a lot of fucking force i feel like for that knife to penetrate through the stall and then straight into the ear canal i mean we didn't say anything when rose mcgowan died by doggy door so whatevs (laughs) we haven't covered screen one yet so that's why but imagine how tired we are Imagine how tired we are of it. I don't mind. We need to kill him to continue on with the story because I like what they do when they continue. Yeah, same. As we continue, the killer returns to the theater wearing Phil's jacket over his ghost face costume. Maureen, thinking it's Phil playing games still, she offers him some popcorn and continues critiquing the movie. As she leans into her date at a scary moment in the movie, she discovers blood on the jacket. Just then, Ghostface whips out his knife and stabs her in the stomach. At the same time, the audience is going wild with the death scene depicted on the screen. They're unable to see or hear Maureen cry out until she makes her way to the movie screen where she plops to her death. And then we get a title card. This opening scene just went zero to 100. 
the idea of someone pretending to be my partner and coming to sit next to me terrifies me. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I think that's such mm-hmm. a creepy thing to do. But the ramp up to the to the actual murder is Craven and editing, honestly, so good. I love the intercuts of the horror movie and the audience just like reveling and relishing in this like murder happening, coinciding with another murder. And I'm going to mm-hmm. say it now. Craven put his philosophy degree to a full extent in this second movie. Because <laughs> I get it. The audience's depiction of media and our want to consume, consume whatever. That's not this podcast. <laughs> Craven is so good. I have to give credit where credit is due. I love this. I love the ramp up. I love when she figures out. It's terrifying. And we critique the audience before that they're knowing and rowdy. That this time when they are, it plays to like the effect of the murder and everyone just mm-hmm. goes dead silent when she gives out her bride of Frankenstein scream and pops. <laughs> it's I really like the opening. I think it's a solid cold open. I agree. It's a great cold open. I love to see POCs up there, even though they got slashed to bits within the first 10 minutes of the movie. But it's a great scene. I love the dialogue. The kill is creative aside from the bathroom stall kill. Although the only thing I found weird, and maybe this is with older movie theaters, but the fact that there was like a small stage, like perhaps that she can get up, up to. to yeah, so that way she was like being projected on with the movie was a little strange. I was like, that doesn't happen in movie theaters anymore. But I'll chop it up to being like an old movie theater. Maybe they had those. It is what it is, but it's solid. And I think Jada held her own from this opening. It's so damn good. Jada is so damn good. And I was thinking when I was watching, I would love to see Jada in like a new horror movie where she can play like a total badass. Cause that mm-hmm. that would instantly get me in a seat. Like no questions asked. 100%, I would love to see it. From this cult open, we go straight into Windsor College in Ohio. Sydney is awakened by a ghost face impersonator only this time. Sid has the power of caller ID on her side. She she quickly calls out the prank caller and continues on with her day. Her roommate asks if it's time to change their number again, and Sydney explains that the hype will die down after the movie. Another random student alerts the girls to, oh my God, turn on the news. And as the TV on the previous night's murderers at the stab premiere. Okay, welcome everybody. We left Sid in the first movie. She barely survived. Her boyfriend killed everybody she loved. And now here we are in college. What do you think of Sydney's growth? Because I have this, the script may be wonky, but like this part, I love. It's believable, I guess. Like obviously Sid's a fighter. She's a survivor. So she wouldn't like rest on her laurels and just like give up and, you know, become depressed or anything. Uh, she Clearly she wanted to continue with her life. You know, she's moved on to college, even so much to like live on campus and be in the dorms. So I guess Mm -hmm. it's like a nice like continuation of her story. I really dig it for two things. I love the progression told so quickly with a phone call that we're so familiar with now with the same like cat and mouse chase of like, hello, Sydney. And she's Mm -hmm. quick to just whatevs i have caller id because sid is amazing she doesn't pay it no mind and i think that's a great showcasing of where she's at mentally at this point but to me it's all false just in the sense of that like sid is trying to move on she wants to do what she's doing and it's not until like the second murder that sid starts like the walls start breaking down yeah yeah and i think that's such a great progression because showing her right here where she's she's like yeah everything's great i've got a boyfriend college is great 
he's big and he plays football and he'll kick your ass. <laughs> I, I love her story in this one. It, it's fun. It's so good. I feel for Sid. Do you like Haley? I love Haley as her friend, even though it's always like the token POC best friend. Like this was the role that Brandy was also given and her like centered around her white friend. <laughs> all tea, all shade. I like Haley's character uh, for the most part. I hate, hate that she's like, they made her obsessed with joining this all white sorority. It's like one, it's probably the least attractive trait that they wrote into her, into the script. Um, and I'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, but from there, Sydney finds Randy in film theory, of course, having a very <laughs> intense conversation in class with some of our new cast members, Cece Cooper, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Mickey, played by Timothy Olenfont. Hold on. I love that. Okay. Ray wrote this one out. And I love that Sarah Michelle Geller doesn't even have, you don't even have to write her full name out. On the notes, it's just Miss SMG. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. Miss SMG, if you're nasty. <laughs> From there, they make their way across campus discussing what happened the night before. Williamson or Craven, whoever wrote this section of the script, was like, you know what would be super f***ing meta? If we had a class that discusses films and sequels so we can talk about this sequel. They literally said, let's just talk about ourselves. I feel good about myself. What do you like about me? Like, what is your favorite part? <laughs> what is your favorite part about me? Because they also discuss, I have a big problem with Cameron. I have my own feelings about Cameron. And Mickey is just like circle jerking it. Tuh, Cameron, aliens. Also mentioning T2, Terminator, which I have to agree, Terminator T2 is a far superior movie. I agree. But he's got a hard on for Cameron, as uh, SMG says. <laughs> SMG, that's her new name. Miss SMG, for if you're nasty. This is, it's, it's, it's both so on the nose and yet so genius at the same time. Am I the mm -hmm, only one? I agree. No, I love this scene. I eat that shit up. I thought, I think <laughs> it's like such delightfully like witty writing. It's Kevin mm -hmm. Williamson, in my opinion, at his finest. Mm -hmm. I love that these super geeks, film nerds are just sitting around arguing, you know, what sequels are better and if sequels are better than their originals, can they surpass? It's just so filmy and nerdy. Like this is what I thought film school was gonna be like when I went. And it I'm totally was not nothing like this. <laughs> I met some friends that were similar, which is why we were friends. Um, but no, film school was not like this whatsoever. It's literally in my notes. I'm like, what film theory class is this? <laughs> It's it's so not good, but CC also gives us one of my favorite lines ever. Well, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> yes! yes, it's my favorite line, bitch. My favorite line. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I just have one question. Do you think Randy followed Sid to school? How did this happen? How did we both end up in the same school? I feel like Randy did follow Sid to school because I'll tea, I'll shade. Film nerds like Randy aren't going to go to college. And if they do, they're going to go to community college and fuck around. Oh like, my God. <laughs> so I feel like he was still like riding on Sid's coattails, like trying to get after her, still trying to. Well, he does give whatever. us the line of like, well, okay, Mr. Movie, like, what would you do in the sequel? I'd let the nerd get the girl. <laughs> like, fuck Randy. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like he followed her. He's definitely followed her. This is also, I just realized, this is our first interaction with Randy. We didn't have Randy in Scream 4, so we've never had to talk about him. 
No, this is true. This is How true. do you feel about college Randy, which is really no different from high school Randy, except that he's not as like loud. I, I love Randy, period. I don't like that Randy gets killed so quickly in this one because in Scream 1, we had him throughout multiple scenes. He's just kind of like our narrator almost, or like the guy who spills everything out for us, which I loved. Mm -hmm. So when Scream 2 rolled around, I was like, yes, we have the narration of Randy and I love his like side comments. He's essentially like the peanut gallery of the series. And so we kill him like what, halfway through, maybe even less than that. And so it kind of sucked. I didn't like that we killed him so quickly and easily, I feel like. We'll talk about his death when we talk about his death. Sorry, everyone. If you haven't seen this movie, first off, it came out in 1997. Get your shit together. Second, like, I, I hope no one, like, let's press play when we press play on the movie and it'll just <laughs> line oh, up. Oh, no, this is not that pod, bitch. We, we will spoil the ending within the first five seconds of this pod. Oh, my God. Time and place. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll share my feelings on Randy when we get to Randy because I have very weird mixed feelings about Randy. Yeah, very strong feelings about Randy tonight, Jay. <laughs> I fucking hate you. Two other Woodsboro survivors arrive at the campus. Police officer Dewey Riley to offer Sydney protection. And of course, reporter Gail motherfucker. Weathers to cover the case. Gail tries to stage a confrontation between Sydney and Cotton Weary, who is attempting to gain fame from his exoneration for the murder of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. After Gail forcibly confronts Sydney with Cotton, Sydney angrily slaps. And it's we love round two for this. She deserved it. She had she it coming. It. And I would have closed. Do you prefer uh, open palm or closed fist, bitch? So quickly. This character dump is so fast. I didn't realize yeah. it's everybody like, just like comes out of the woodwork. <laughs> seriously, seriously. I kind of dig it because I'm like, cool, let's move this story along. Let's yeah. go. I have a question for Dewey. Dewey, did you just randomly like transport to the campus unknowingly? Like, did you wake up and you were on campus? Because when Sydney's like, oh my God, it's Dewey, and she runs to him, Dewey's just like, oh. What school? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Also, he like so was he already like was he already there or did he come from California after he heard about the murders? Because he got he got there really quick if he got the day after the murders. Red herring. Everybody's a red herring. This is true. This is true. Everybody's a red herring. I don't know. I'm not gonna sit here and, and dive too much into it because the script is garbage. <laughs> Gail Weathers, Miss Gail Weathers. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, Gail Weathers uh, shows up with her new calf implants, according to <laughs> Randy. <laughs> I forgot about that line. That's one of my favorite lines. And when he's just like, she got her calves done. This is her metamorphosis. We see multiple different hairstyles from this, from Ms. Gail Weathers here. Mm -hmm. This is, this I'm is her gonna Scream 2 era. I'm going to say Scream 2 era is probably one of my favorites because I love the red chunky highlights. They're so nasty and beautiful. Girl, you have done it again. And then, of course, we get Cotton Weary uh, trying to, like, milk this Maureen Prescott murder for all it's f***ing worth, bitch. I love, I love Cotton Weary's storyline. I think he is the most interesting character that they've re really? introduced or reintroduced. Yes, 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 I do. Because Mickey's fine. Mickey doesn't honestly does not become important until the very end. Derek mm -hmm. is so fine to look at. Hallie, yeah. unfortunately, is just the best friend. And I, like, yes. whatevs. Everyone else we've already known. So the only new person that's left is Cotton. And I think Cotton Weary's 
character arc of being falsely accused, spent in jail, and then trying to like be this fame hungry slut is so what? is so good. I think it's so good, and I have to give Leave Shriver his like credit because as the movie progresses and he starts becoming like. I need to see Barbara Walters. I don't think you uh-huh. fucking understand. Like, it is so good to me. It is so Gail, good to me. Gail, you promised me an interview. It, I think it's fantastic. I think it's such a cool turn that they got to play with. It's fun. Like we said, it's a character jump. And it's like, all of a sudden, you have to meet everybody. My favorite interaction, though, is when Gail and Dewey meet up. Because Gail is just like, oh, Dewey. And Dewey's like, did Dewey's you... not having it. Dewey's like, did you forget what you wrote about me? You fucking bitch in your burn book over there. Because you are a mean girl. You're a bitch. Dewey <laughs> Riley made out with a hot dog. <laughs> Still half true. My The best line that Dewey gives is like the best read that every fan yes. wants to give. It's like, oh, by the way, nice highlights. It's so yes. good. Get her, Jade. Ooh, <laughs> so good i love i love it it's like is the character dump is fast i think it's quick i i think williamson's script is still strong i still think it's strong here everybody's still quippy everybody still has hmm. things to say it's not the strongest clearly he was distracted but i think that i think the skeleton is great later that evening cc cooper is the sober sister at omega beta zeta She pulls a Drew Barrymore walking around a big empty house alone at night talking to Ghostface. And I will admit the dialogue between the two is great, but eventually Buffy gets her comeuppets and is stabbed and tossed from the second floor balcony. This is our first like really big chase scene. And if it's from anybody, it's going to be from Miss Sarah Michelle Geller herself. Miss SMG. SMG, I apologize. She's so good. I just have a problem with her eyebrows, but it was the 90s. So like, I-, I Everyone had it. questionable eyebrows. You have questionable eyebrows. I am gonna slap you. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, love, love this scene. I love the banter between Cece and Ghostface. It's the strongest, to be quite it's honest. very strong. Sorry, SMG can deliver the, can deliver the lines perfectly. She's mm-hmm. whippy. Her tone is pointed. I love it. I love all of it. I think she holds her own. She makes smart choices. Like when she steps outside of the house, like I don't want to be in here. But then eventually she just starts making stupider and stupider decisions. Like, why did you go Mm. upstairs? You could have just left. Whatever. We needed somebody to die. And if anyone's going to die, it's Miss SMG. And you can totally tell. They got her at a very brief moment in her schedule and filmed her separately from everybody else, completely Uh separated. That's fine. This is sick. I love it. It's just like a class. It feels like the most classic chasing in horror. Like that. If that's what you came for. You came for a slasher. It's like, bitch, what else do you want? And it was famously spoofed on Scary Movie. <laughs> this whole movie is spoofed from Scary Movie. The opening scene, do you know how many times I kept waiting for like the rest of the audience to start stabbing Marine? <laughs> this is for Big Mama's house and Thelma and Louise. <laughs> You ruined Boogie Nights! (laughs) Before we move on, we gotta backpedal. So besides meeting all of our old characters and some of the new, some of the best new besides Cotton, is Miss Debbie f***ing Salt. Lori Metcalf coming in. She's so good as like a wannabe reporter. Mm -hmm. Is it like, 
I don't know if it's just Laurie Metcalf doing Laurie Metcalf like isms, but you can tell the crazies underlying there. Like Miss Debbie Salt herself looks like she would snap to get a good lead. <laughs> That's just Laurie Metcalf on a good day. <laughs> Laurie, we haven't even started filming yet. What are you doing? <laughs> she said seven cups of coffee and two hours of sleep. Um, I agree. I Laurie Metcalf is great in this movie. I I gonna have to say for my liking it kind of borderlines cheesy campy at times which <laughs> you were smiling so i'm sure you just ate it up um but it for a screen movie it just it's a little too much for my liking that's totally understandable but i still i still love her performance i love the motive i love her character so i'm here for it especially this introduction because She's clearly a red herring. You just don't know if she's going to come into play later. But with a name like Debbie Salt, hello. We also forgot to introduce our other two characters. I don't remember their names, but it's Rebecca Gayhard and Portia de Rossi. You can sit here. I can already tell that you're just waiting to f***ing gush over these two b- And I will let you have your moment. But I'm just saying, like, I can't. I can't with these characters. Like, I understand that they were playing characters. I hate these characters. I hate that. I hate the way that they speak to the other POCU. You're just upset that the Delta Lambdas are very sensitive to your flight. (laughs) Love Rebecca Gayhart and Portia de Rossi. They are the perfect, bitchy, horribly sweet, you know. And racist. And racist sorority sisters. They come through looking like a gap catalog and i am here for it it's the easter collection jackie they were in pastels for spring groundbreaking i I love them and i love them later on because some of their lines are some of my favorite because it feels like someone wrote a joke and tried to fit it to kevin williamson's aesthetic especially one line and we'll get to it because i made sure we're gonna bring this up hello pledge We cut to the sorority party going on across the street where Sid and company are talking shit about the host. After the cops arrive to the OBZ house, the party goers leave the party to see Buffy's dead body dragged off the driveway. I just read that. Of course, Sydney and her red herring boyfriend stay behind to give mysterious looks and answer phones that aren't theirs, everybody. And of course, who else is also on the line? But it is Ghostface calling. He's he's decided to turn the night into a two for one and goes for Sid. Her bubble butt boyfriend intervenes and saves her after taking a nice slice to the arm. There's a lot to unpack here. I need to mention the sorority party because there's nothing to mention from the sorority party except that Haley really wants to join this sorority and they treat her like shit uh. and they are all up Sydney's bung- bunghole and Sid's not about it. But are you kidding me? They give the line. Everyone thinks sororities are all about blowjobs, but that's just not true. We believe in contraceptives and safety. And then the following line is. But harmonica style is totally okay, right? <laughs> 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 Are you kidding? That's the line where I'm like, Kevin didn't write that. Kevin did not write that. What does harmonica style mean? It's when you have it to the side and it's just like, you're like, (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. Stop it right now. Straight people are fucking disgusting. (laughs) 
I love these lines. That's my favorite part about that sorority scene. They crush it for me. Their delivery is hilarious. <sighs> you hate them because you don't like that particular type of person. And they're mm -hmm. playing that particular type of person extremely well. I know. I know. It's just my own. I'm inflicting my own trauma and shit into this myself. Well, you're very sad. You're, you know how I feel about organized religion? It's a sorority. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what that is. Would you believe that everybody would just, you know what? As I'm asking the question, I would totally believe everybody would. That everybody would them. flock over there. Bitch, they would be out with their phones recording. They'd be taking selfies. It'd be all over TikTok. It'd be all over TikTok. But our sorority sisters give us another great line. Because when everyone's leaving, they're like, Oh my God, I should have bought my drink. <laughs> They know what's important <laughs> on a Friday night. She's going to miss the party. <laughs> I am not missing waterfalls for this. Waterfalls, waterfalls is, is my jam. jam. <laughs> R.I.P. First episode of Scream Queens. After that, it's downhill, y'all. But the altercate, you're, you were right in writing all of these notes of Sid's boyfriend being like the ultimate, like just a red herring out of red herring. Oh, my because God. Because these shots are ridiculous. Do you want to explain uh -huh. them? There are so many like foreboding shots of what's his name again? Something O'Connell? Jerry O'Connell. Jer <laughs> Jerry O'Connell. They do uh. these like <laughs> pushing, like pushing shots of him, like staring off into the distance, kind of menacingly. He could be pouring coffee and they would just shoot it <laughs> menacing. Take you to piss and they would push it <laughs> on him like that. So they do that for him. They do it for, I believe, Dewey. Uh, they do it for Randy. They do it for Gail. They do it for uh, Debbie. They do it for everybody. They do it for absolutely everybody. And it's just too much. And all he does is like, yeah, Sid, let's go inside and get you home. Turn <laughs> I really didn't notice until the second time around. There are multiple points in the script where Debbie will say something that'll be misleading for people to think another way, or Mickey will say something. Mm -hmm. This is excellently executed because after he does, Derek does get slashed in the arm, everybody immediately believes that he's the bad guy. But the problem for me, for the rest of the Scream series, this isn't the first time someone's gonna get slashed in the arm and like they continue on. This movie, everybody starts suspecting that guy. Later movies, whoever stabbed are like, oh, they can't be the killer, they got stabbed. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, I agree, I agree. After all of this, we get another excellent Debbie scene because she's at the scene. She's already here. She's oh, reporting yeah. because it's so funny because as she leaves, she sees Gail and she's like, oh my God, Gail, hi, you're just now getting here. I got to go. I got to report. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're just getting here. I'm already halfway done with the scoop. Bye. It's so, it's so funny. That's parts of Williamson are great. And again, Laurie Metcalf crushing it with the lions. As she always does. Oh. And you just totally mentioned, why did Sid answer that phone? White people, girl. Always doing shit, touching shit that don't belong to them. <laughs> Mind your business, girl. Mind your business. Had she not answered that phone, she wouldn't have been attacked. I said what I said. I feel like she still would have been attacked. But like, what's best for me is that Sid has totally known everybody's f***ing around up until this point when they call her this one phone call she was like oh, it's totally him and i'm just like girl you didn't have to answer like no she one... did it bitch she's asking for it at this point she just has to answer the phone it's sid's trauma she can't <laughs> i feel like it would have been the opposite like she would never want to answer a phone again for the rest of her life 
That could be nothing but texting for me. Sorry. Uh, moving on uh, later Gail theorizes that this is a copycat killer after finding out Cece's real name is Casey <gasps> as in Casey Becker and as well as Maureen and Phil and these are all the victims names from the first movie so like this is mentioned and then like it's kind of dropped right it really is it's totally <laughs> like mentioned like oh my god it's a copycat killer it's they're killing in the style of da 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 and then it's quickly dropped same thing in Scream 3. We're not going to talk about Scream 3 because we're not there yet. But like the same thing happens in Scream 3. Like <laughs> we just bring up something and then we drop it. It's fine. But like imagine being a killer and like, okay, let's pull up the phone book. Marine, Marine, <laughs> Marine. And it was the 90s, bitch. So they still had to look them up in the phone book. <laughs> it's just, it's too fucking much. It's just, it's too convoluted to make sense, but whatever. It's an aesthetic. It's an aesthetic. We also get Mickey trying to throw red herrings towards Sydney because this is where Sydney starts like, I'm gonna say unraveling. Cause that's when Mickey's like, why did he go in there? And then the music gets wild and it's, she starts questioning Derek. Oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. From here, Gail, Dewey and Randy then quickly <laughs> scour the campus when they're on the phone with the killer through their cellular device and apparently attack innocent students in trying to uncover in the process. Unfortunately, Randy is killed in daylight and Gail's news van in the process. Boo. We want classic J-Lo. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, okay. Okay, the cellular device. Do you have a cellular device? Because I have I a have, cellular device. I, I do have a cellular device. So you understand that if I have a cellular device and I'm close to you, that means that everybody around me who has a cellular device is probably... I have so many problems with this part. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many problems with Just this, this part. this part, bitch, I'm from the whole movie. <laughs> I... I like... We've mentioned before, and you always get on my case, I always think I'm safe during daylight. In any horror movie, when it's daylight, I think I'm safe. So the fact that the killer contacted them during the day, I was like, gag, gagarama, gagatrandra. What? Huh? You were so. You were this so didn't happen to me because this isn't this isn't Ghostface mo. This has never been Ghostface mo in public during the daylight where people can mm -hmm. see and hear you. But what gags me is that for some reason they think clearly. He's in a 50 mile radius, not in like a building up high somewhere where he, like, it makes- It was the 90s. Cellular technology was just budding at the time. They didn't know how it worked. This is infamously where they just start attacking random students who just happen to be holding a, even if, even if it looks close to a cellular device, they fucking tackled your ass to the ground. They knocked over a 60 year old woman who was playing <laughs> the Game Boy. <laughs> but we get, Probably the biggest reason why people don't like Scream 2 is Randy's death. Yeah, it's it's very weak. It's so quick and cheesy. It's done off screen. It is. It's not it's not what Randy deserved by any means. Is Randy biggest... deserved it's not my biggest gripe, but I, it's a gripe for sure. Like mm -hmm. Randy deserved much better than that. Like a oh, a horror nerd who knows the tropes and studies cinema like he deserved a way better kill than some little offing in a newsman in broad daylight that you only saw from like the side mirror you only saw from the side mirror and my fave 
my least favorite part about it because it's just so ludicrous. Is oh my god, I already know what you're gonna say. When he's dead, and it's just a the hip hop dance club that beats twice a week on campus just happened to be walking by at the same exact moment that Randy would be killed. It's just too much. The daylight killing could have worked for me if it wasn't pulled to this this end. And you're right. You're so completely, totally, 100% right that Randy deserved a better death, especially from such a fan favorite. People love Randy because they identify with Randy, whatever. But (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't deserve this death. It is a very weak death. And then we get our shown the death, but we got a sick reveal from Courtney Cox. This is my favorite scream from Courtney Cox. Like when they just- Oh yeah, the and they used and... it in the trailer. It's so fantastic. It, it's just, it's an implausible situation. I don't like that they separated from Randy. Randy would never put his back to anything like that. It's just, uh-huh. it doesn't fit. And I just, I see why people dislike this movie, but come on y'all, Randy deserved more. R.I.P. Like, if you were to kill him, you should have killed him in a very creative, cinematic way. It Mm -hmm. should have been great and fantastical and gory. And second of all, you shouldn't have killed him. I think they should. I disagree. This is where I'm going to disagree with you. I think they should have killed him. Somebody from the original was going to die. If you were going to kill anybody, it could have been Dewey, whatever. Thank you. I was going to say the Dewey then. It could have been Dewey, but somebody had to die. And if you're going to kill somebody, kill somebody big, like Randy. Just give him a proper death. I have no problems that Randy died. And do it, like, further into the movie. It was too early to off Randy. (laughs) Agree to disagree. Like, yeah, 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 he could have died later, but why not? Just fucking, just do it. Do it. Do it, bitch. Stab me. What are you going to do? Stab me? You're going to stab somebody? Stab somebody. (laughs) After Sydney's attack, she's escorted by two lovely security guards. Apparently, one of them's supposed to be like gay. Gay. Like yeah. gay. But like, can I get more queer representation? Whatever, as I'll move forward. But Derek tries to have a conversation with Sydney, and Sydney reluctantly pushes Derek away. Aww. Derek's adorable. Like, Derek is so sweet, and he just wants to be a sweet, loving boyfriend. Because from here, we go into a cafeteria scene, and we get probably the worst scene in Scream franchise. <laughs> I hate this scene. I hate this scene. And to summarize, Derek breaks out into song. What song is it again? Oh, I think I I love you. you. Uh, So what am I so afraid of? Whatever. Thank you, Jerry O'Connell, for trying your bestest and giving us your your all. (laughs) But this scene is so awkward because it's just Derek trying to give Sid his, I was going to say numbers. Greek letters. <laughs> His Greek letters and it's it's some it's white cis hetero bullshit, mama. It's <laughs> something we cannot relate to. It's just a lot. And the scene goes on for like 10 minutes. It really is the longest scene ever, and it totally could have just been boiled down to like, hey babe, I love you. I'm not supposed to do this, but here are my Greek letters. It's it's too much. It's far too much. It's heteronormative stuff to the extreme, and I'm not here mm-hmm. for it. It, it it slows the pace of the movie, and I just if they cut it out, I would be fine. I'd be fine. It was just like another chance for them to make another movie reference, which wasn't even a horror movie reference. It was a reference to Top Gun. 
I understand that it's a device to show that Derek is there for Sydney, and then when he gives him his letters, it's a meaningful thing. But mm -hmm. I just, I understand the story beats of it and why it's there. I see you, Craven. I see your philosophy major. It just could have been flexed in a different way for me. It just pulls me out. It always pulls Same. me out. Same. It's the worst. But from there, we cut to probably the even funnier, even funner. The fu I'm so fun. We're so fun. Because we get Tori Spelling doing an interview about her new movie, Stab, where she plays this girl called Sydney Prescott, and bad things starts happening to her. And we get some scenes from the movie. I love it. I love it. I, ugh, it's, it's so good because it's Luke Wilson playing Billy Loomis, right? Yes, yes. Uh huh. <laughs> and Tori Spelling as uh, Nev Campbell. That wig is Horrendous. atrocious, honey. It's so bad. It's so stringy and oily. It's disgusting. And if whenever I see the scene, I can only ever think of Scary Movie and Anna Faris running away with her arms flailing. <laughs> Except your mom isn't in a grave somewhere and she's never coming back. Ever. <laughs> stupid. I, <laughs> I forgot about this stupid. I love, I love the whole interaction. I love the interview. And I especially love that they kept the same interviewer from Scream 1 to Scream 2 to Scream 3 to Scream 4. I think she's in Scream 4. Uh, yeah, I love that they kept the same interviewer. She's, she's actually on Entertainment Tonight, correct? I, I think, think she is. Yes. Yeah, so or having was. her was has a, like a sense of authenticity. She also does a lot of like the scream docs. She's in a lot of them, a lot of the documentaries. Uh-huh. I love that she loves being a part of this. Tori Spelling is such a great sport for being the butt of the joke in the first movie and then willing <laughs> to come and do this. It's fantastic. It's very tongue in cheek, and I'm I'm happy that she was such a good sport about it. And all of them were a good sport about it because they knew what they were doing was meant to be tongue in cheek and cheesy. Some of the best stuff that comes from this movie, because this movie of Stab is really pushed into Scream Three for better or fucking worse. But mm. it, <laughs> but I love that they're playing with it, and you can totally tell how much fun they're having with it. Mm hmm. I agree. It's so like I said earlier, like. The casting choices this movie were so not I don't want to call them wild, but it was just so like we've said, it was the hotties of the nineties and the two thousands. So it was just so much fun to see all of your favorite like movie stars in one place. It's it's wonderful and it's a great just like moment to breathe and to release some catharsis without having to be scared. Like I love when this is why I love Scream so much. Their balancing of comedy and horror is so good. So mm -hmm. good. Because from here, we move into absolutely Craven's biggest portion. And you can tell, you can totally tell he is flexing his philosophy degree to the nth degree. Because we get a conversation between the theater department head and teacher with Sydney, who's now a theater major. And she's performing in an odyssey. And she's giving this performance as Cassandra. I don't mind when horror movies go down this ro road and really try to be like... Like philosophical, yeah, and really try to get to the meaning of things because they talk about understanding fate and accepting fate. I don't mind it because I also love this setup of the play. I love this set because it's used later on in our finale, and mm -hmm. it's 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 so fun. But it's it's dry. Is this the only way I can? It, thank I can you. Put it? 
It's so dry, bitch. It's the driest, like, driest piece of toast I've ever had in my life. (gasps) Who broke the toaster? It's it's so boring. I don't care for it. That whole conversation, I tune out completely every time I watch this movie. The the conversation between the professor and Sydney, I tune out. I don't care for this. Why is she a theater major? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to Sid's character because it was never, ever mentioned in the first one. and then this also doesn't make sense because Sid doesn't like being the center of attention. Sid they, okay, clears away you. from things. So why is she all of a sudden lead? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Character her near just experience brought her to the limelight. <laughs> Honestly, what a turn. <laughs> so I don't like any of that. I don't care. I remember vividly in the trailers for this movie, they kept intercutting scenes from this play with those different masks. So I remember I kept thinking, like they alluded to the fact that they were changing the mask. And I was gobsmacked, mm. bitch. I was like, oh no, you did not give us Ghostface only to take it away or to change it up. So I remember I thought they were changing the mask. Thank God they didn't. Uh, I just, I don't care for any of this. For In my opinion, it doesn't do anything for the story. doesn't do anything for the script. I feel like you said, it was Wes Craven flexing his philosophy muscle and wanted to throw some shit in there. I understand where, why, like, I get it. It's just, it was too much because you're right. It does, it, it's just, there's too much focus on it. There's just too much focus on this. When it comes out of nowhere, it'd be understandable if we had this relationship with Sid where she wanted to do this and you mm-hmm. can embed it. You throwing us, throwing it at us, the, like doesn't even give us time to catch it. And what we do catch is just, this conversation about fate and it's just too too highbrow for such a meta grounded in reality and funny type of movie i i wholeheartedly agree because after she has this not interaction with ghostface i've talked about i talked about it earlier this is where sid cracks this is where she starts pushing everybody away derek she like essentially breaks up with and derek's like it's fine like i'll still be here but she's like no no, I can't love you. Get no. She does the Mo- Molly Shannon kind of. <laughs> You're horrible. You're horrible. It's development. It's. I wish it was done in a way that didn't feel too like. Oh, look at us. We're doing a tragedy. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. After Randy's death, Sid has no idea, which also doesn't make sense to me because if Randy just died, these security guards would have gotten wind of this already. They're horrible guards because Sid gets threatened by the computer in hilarious <laughs> 90s computer fashion. You've got We've mail. talked about our love for computer shots in, in like movies like this. She gets a death threat via instant message, bitch. <laughs> this movie's so 90s. So she gets some like weird cryptic death message. It's not cryptic. It's you're gonna die tonight. It's like so. No, it's cryptic. I feel like there's room for interpretation there. (laughs) No, I think you know what. I think I'm gonna wait this out. I think I'm gonna listen to my (laughs) intuition. (laughs) I'm gonna play it by ear and see what happens. Because the the guards immediately separate her from visible people, and they're like, "You wait here. We're gonna go check." You wait here in this dark and dank hallway where Lee Schreiber's gonna come out of the shadows and beg you for a Diane Sawyer special. Cotton Weary comes out of the woodwork and menacingly threatens Sydney to do an interview with Barbara Waltz, Barbara Waltz's. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, he literally like pushes her up against wall and said, 
it could be great for both of our careers we could go on on this primetime special and set the story straight i want to have a, a show called 100 cotton i love that he gets a show 100 cotton Me too but i love it too. i love the title this is where I really like his character because I mentioned it before. This is great. This is a red herring, everybody. Not just like a some f***ing random yeah. camera pan to make me think that somebody's a bad guy. I would absolutely believe Cotton snapped because he needs his 15 minutes because his life was destroyed. It's great absolutely. character development. And this scene is sick because he he puts his hand up against the wall so you know he means business. And my, my favorite <laughs> line from Cotton is just one little Fucking Diane Sawyer interview. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Honestly, he's not asking for much, and Sid totally ruined his life. So it was honestly the least she could do. Come on, let's just like dredge up your old like family trauma for 15 minutes. You'll get 200 k out of it and you'll be famous. Everybody's doing it on TikTok. People would kill for this kind of offer. Oh my god, it sounds like Scream 3. I swear to God. <laughs> So after this, Gail is thrust into the media storm that she essentially started. It's really cool to see Gail's character arc. It's not a, it's not, it's not like a great wide-reaching arc. It's like a baby jump of an arc. It's like a peaks and valleys, darling. <laughs> because now she's conflicted about doing this news reporting after having her conversations with Dewey. And mm-hmm. Joel, her camera guy, bounces. He's like, no, no, I'm leaving by cab goodbye and it is the smartest decision anyone has made in this whole movie he went home and read her book and realized that her cameraman got gutted bitch and he He wasn't gutted i made that up he was he was stabbed though it's great and it's great and i love that in the behind the scenes because they didn't know how like they didn't know what to do with his character and he was like i would quit like if it were me i would quit and leave Jump in a cab and leave. And then Craven was like, the- and my favorite oh, okay. is that Craven's like, you you sure? It means you wouldn't have a job. The guy was like, yeah, I would leave. <laughs> I would leave. <laughs> the only smart person in this movie. And then only- he comes back for his job at the end. He's like, okay, the shits went down. <laughs> she don't got a cameraman now. Now's my time to swoop in. Off, get like up my price. Coast is clear. We're good. It's the best decision because this thrust Gale and she's like, oh, what do I do? Of course, Dewey swoops in. I love Dewey and Gale. I don't think they're good for each other, but I love Dewey and Gale. They're so sweet. They're totally like a (laughs) Dawson's Creek couple, should they, shouldn't they, (laughs) type of relationship. I've never seen Dawson's Creek, so I don't know about (gasps) any of the couples on there. It's fine. It's fun. It's fine. It's really white. Don't worry about it. From here, Dewey and Gail decide to try and uncover the tapes that Joel had been taking of crowd footage. Perhaps the killer was in one of the footage tapes. So they decide to head to the student university film building in order to cover these tapes. And I love the university setting. It doesn't really hit me until this scene because the university is shown, the fraternities and the sororities are shown, but this is a great setting. This is totally a college slasher. And for some reason that escapes me when it comes to Scream 2, because if you categorize it, a high school slasher then a college slasher and that's great i love the evolution you know what that's called growth from here dewey and gail decide to go into a room and watch through these tapes and of course what else do they do except decide to bone because they're they're under intense pressure and gail apologizes for being a uh, a bitch there's no other way to put it there's no other way to put it yes she is a bitch B-I-C-T-H. When suddenly, 
the videotape starts showing tapes from the killings, which is so Scream 4 before Scream 4, because if a killer wants to be part of this new age, they would be filming the killings. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, but how did they get the tape? Like, I don't understand how the tapes made it. None there. of that made sense. None of that yeah. made sense. What it doesn't make any more sense is that Dewey sees that it's being it's Dewey notices There's a live being, recording of them. When they find footage of the killer stalking them live on TV, he then chases them into some sort of soundproof room where he kills Dewey and Gale watches in horror. But the part that doesn't make sense is when Dewey goes up to the film room to see who's there, the killer pops out from underneath the table they were just making out on. What's not clicking? What's not clicking? Oh yeah. So that means he's just underneath the table. Then none of this makes sense. None. Of, we've been sitting sitting here poking holes throughout this whole script. None of it makes sense. I forgive it because I don't. What do you do successfully? Quickly. You're gonna listen to me. The only reason why I forgive it is because we love. Scream 3, and none of that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. See? Case is closed. Dun, dun. Yeah, but Scream 3 has Parker Posey in it. They do have Parker Posey. And honey, anytime Parker Posey's there, I am willing to forgive anything. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but the chase scene with Gail is its so good. Gail's never had a chase scene. And she gets a really excellent one. I'm a sucker for film anything. So the fact that they use like the sound room is an excellent device and Dewey's not death. <laughs> it, it gets me in the feels because they just uh -huh. made up. They just started to get their little nookie nookie and he, he gets stabbed in silence and she just watches and like anguish. It's really well directed. This is like crazy is. peak chasing. I love it. I love it too. And I love that they kill Dewey in front of Gale to make it more like Dramatic and the music and and by like if you're watching this at the time you think Juby's dead. Um, spoiler, he's not. Um, but you think he's dead. I don't know why they saved him, but whatever. But this is also the first time that we really get Gale like weakened. She's like this is the first time you see Gale as like quote unquote meek and scared and doesn't know what to do. And so I really like Courtney Cox's character arc in this. I think it's effective. I think Dewey should have died to complete that character arc. So it's fine that he comes back later, but it's, it's good job, Gail Weathers. You went through all the range of emotions this time. I think they should have killed Dewey in part three. Uh, just kill him every single time. Just bring him back to kill him again. He can be like a <laughs> run <-back. laughs> Sydney and Hallie are being escorted by police when Ghostface attacks. He kills both policemen and is then knocked unconscious in the car crash. The girls manage to escape, but Sydney's selfishness causes Hallie to be killed, prompting Sydney to flee. This is a very boiled down version of the, this scene. So Sydney and Hallie are being escorted somewhere and they aren't told where they're going because why? We'll have to kill you. But we also, I think it's the, the supposed gay cop that says, don't ask, don't tell. Like, Ew. yes, <laughs> I caught that too. And I was like, really, really? Ew. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for that line either, but whatever. I don't want to say that the scene isn't really good because I love the tension in the scene. I think it's f***ing cool. And the only reason why they hired this guy to play one of the security guards is because he was a stuntman who could do the stunt on top of this car chase. This car chase is rad, but it is so uncharacteristic of Ghostface to literally mm -hmm. come out of nowhere 
in the street, stab through the car, kill these guys, and then do this chase scene. It doesn't make sense to me for a ghost face kill, but I think it's such a good kill. I think it's no, such a no. good kill. I Why? disagree with both statements. No, none of this works. It's so out of the characteristic of Ghostface for him to just like, first of all, they are at a stoplight and he just comes out of nowhere and like stabs. And then this car chase ensues, which Ghostface somehow manages to survive. He's not unconscious, but he manages to survive. No, no, no to all of it. I don't like any of it. Really? Of it. And then, and then you then, kill. Hence. You, and then you kill Hallie in the process because Sydney is selfish and she wants to go back and unmask the killer, which I can somewhat, like, it makes sense. I, I understand, like, he's unconscious. Like, why would you just go back and rip off the mask? But, girl, no. If you're famous on you, girl, let's go. Let's get the f on. You should have went. And instead, you got your friend killed in the process. I don't understand. I don't You're wrong. Understand. And you're right. You're both. You could do both. So I'm verse. Yeah, ew, for once. So <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with the car chase. Just in terms of I mentioned it's so uncharacteristic. It just does not make sense. I actually I think it's well tensioned. A fantastic tension scene of them having to go through the front seat, go across the killer and get out of the car. I think it's dope. I think it's fun. From there, it just doesn't make sense because I also agree. If your friend is saying, let's go, you need to go. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you think. I'm gonna tell you what I don't do. I don't know shit, <laughs> I don't get stuff, and I don't understand things. Because Hallie did not deserve to die. It also doesn't make sense how Hallie died because how did the killer jump out of the car in two I seconds Go around and that. then stab her. I have so many problems with that. Because Hallie did so Haley many. Hallie did not deserve to die either. I thought she was doing great. She was smart. She was the only one who had good comments. Did you get that on film? Yes, I got that on film. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And Umbi brought it up in our Pride Roundtable. It is Sydney's fault that her black friend died. It is absolutely Sydney's fault. I'm sorry, Sid. You've heard us praise you multiple times on this channel. Show. Whatever. What the f Sid? <laughs> like, you, now? A warning? Now you want to get our brain? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I We need to move on from this horrible scene. It's terrible, and I will not discuss it a second longer. <laughs> Sydney makes her way back to campus and into the auditorium where she finds her boy toy, Derek, tied to a cross. Sydney begins to untie him when Ghostface arrives. The killer reveals himself to be Mickey and shoots <gasps> Derek, killing him. Mickey tells Sydney that he intends to kill her and allow himself to be arrested so he can blame the violence in movies for the murders at his trial. He I then introduces this time, baby. You gotta have a trial. <laughs> Stupid. He then introduces Debbie Salt as his accomplice, whom Sydney recognizes as Mrs. Loomis, the mother of Billy Loomis, who is seeking revenge against Sydney for killing her son. Mickey explains that Mrs. Loomis paid for Mickey's tuition fee in exchange for his killings. And Mrs. Loomis then betrays Mickey and shoots him. Before Mickey collapses, he shoots Gail, causing her to fall off the stage and into the pits, whatever the f that is, I don't know. Sydney and Mrs. Loomis fight until Cotton intervenes and Mrs. Loomis holds a knife to Sydney's throat. And in exchange for an interview with Diane Sawyer, Cotton shoots Mrs. Loomis in the throat. As they debate on whether or not Mrs. Loomis is dead, they find Gail still alive and Mickey suddenly resurfaces to which Gail and Sydney retaliate by shooting him to death. Sydney turns to Mrs. Loomis and shoots her into the head to ensure she's dead. 
That is way too quick of an explanation for me because this ending, first off, this ending is like 25 to 30 minutes long. Did you clock that? This is a long ending, but I want to feel your feelings on this ending because I have very strong feelings on this ending. I'm like 50-50. I like the drama of the finale. I like the setting. I like the stage. I like the use of the like opera theater back stage area as like a setting for this final fight um i love the double killer that we got again of mickey as like because you need somebody close to sid mm-hmm. and then you also need like a side character who's gonna fund the, the murders <laughs> so that's where debbie salt came in and i loved her motive of being billy's mom good old-fashioned <laughs> revenge Good old-fashioned revenge. And I also love, I think this is one of my favorite parts in the whole movie, is the read that Debbie throws Gail's way because Gail did not recognize her at all. And she goes, what is she? She lost like 50 pounds and got some work done or something like that. What did she say? So two things. So the reason why Gail didn't recognize her, and it's so slick, it's so fast. I didn't pick it up until this one. Debbie drops the first minute that she meets Gail. I was the reporter at one of your conferences first row asking all the questions. So that's probably why you recognize me. And Gail immediately is, oh yeah, I, I, that, I, you, I thought you looked familiar. Oh. So Debbie is so quick, but Sydney responds with, yeah, this is 60 pounds lighter and some work done. <laughs> and Debbie's response is, call the makeover. Maybe you should get one. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. That was Kevin Williamson right there. That's absolutely Kevin Williamson. So when we get Sydney here, uh, all this wonderfulness and Mickey is revealed, Mickey pulls the worst shit out of a killer. He starts making Sydney believe that Derek is the bad guy because Derek <laughs> yeah. was strung up on here by his fraternity because he gave Sid his letters, numbers, whatever the fuck they do in Greek college. And immediately Sid, because of her trauma, starts questioning if Derek really is the bad guy and sh- Mickey shoots him and it sucks. It's the saddest fucking death because I like Derek. You want to like Derek. He's the doctor. He's the good guy. He's in a fraternity. He's the guy you want to take home to mama. He's going to be a doctor for Christ's sakes. It's It sucks because later on, Sid still wears the letters that Derek gives her in the later movies. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cute, like, it's such a cute little nod. I like Mickey as the killer. It's, I wish it was built up more. Like, at, clear, this feels like one of those things that they didn't really have planned. Yeah, it kind of came out of left field. Came out of left field. Debbie kind of comes out of left field. But once it's explained, I think it's excellent because Lori Metcalf you are correct she borders camp but she goes balls to the mother (laughs) wall she is cuckoo bananas at this point and it is so funny and great to watch I think only a good actress like Lori Metcalf could have pulled that off I feel like anyone worse too campy anyone too better and it would have been like Meryl Streep and wouldn't have fit like (laughs) the, the town I agree. I agree. I a, a lot goes down and a lot is explained in this finale. Um, I love Mickey's line of uh, that Debbie saw, like Debbie paid for his tuition in exchange for the murders. He's like, yeah, well, tuition's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pulling out any loans, okay? I'd rather stab <laughs> someone. Very. <laughs> that's very telling of culture in America. People would rather go out and murder people in exchange for college tuition. How much do you think the tuition is for this school? Because you saw the dorms and you see 
like the oh, setting. Oh, bitch. Oh, bitch. That's easily like a forty, fifty thousand dollar a year. Uh, I would say private semester. institution. This is a semester for forty thou, like easy. But the chase oh, when she takes out Mickey and it's totally fine. Because Mickey's a little crazy, and my motive isn't so nineties. Mine is just good old fashioned revenge. It's the mon mon. I can listen to Laurie Metcalf monologue. Like all day. <laughs> I could just please monologue for me. It's fun. And then we get our finale is beautifully set on the stage because uh, life's on the stage. Uh, we get it. And everything that's used when Cotton Weary comes out, were you taking it back for a second? Like, why is Cotton here? Does this really matter? Yeah, why was he there? I don't think I ever questioned why he was there. Because Cotton all of a sudden was there when he met Gail, and then Gail thinks that he's the killer. And that's how Gail runs into. Debbie. But why is Cotton Weary here? Why is he here right now? I don't know. But I like his development because and then he starts teeter-tottering once Debbie starts talking some good stuff. Like, you want to be the star? You know, you want to be the final girl? I'll make that happen Mm -hmm. for you. I'll suck your I'll suck (laughs) your So good. And we get that split second of hesitation and Cotton gives some of my Sid gives me some of my favorite lines in this whole movie because Sid when she's up against uh, Mickey the best f***ing line Sid has ever given you know the difference though about Billy Loomis is I fucking killed him and then she's oh my god I always jump up every time Sid does that line but Cotton gives her the question of I bet that Diane Sawyer interview is looking pretty good right now consider it done bam (laughs) then she's dead this is great that is great. This last 20 minutes are my favorite parts of this movie, to be very honest. I agree. It's dramatic. It's campy. There's dialogue. Well, we dialogue. also glazed over the, like, back and forth between Sid and Debbie Salt while they're fighting on the stage, because it's great. And they so use... Good. And like any good final girl does, she uses everything she's got to her advantage. So she uses the stage against Debbie Salt. So she, like... Because obviously Sid knows the stage because she's part of the play. So she runs to the door. She manages to lock it. And then she goes behind stage and breaks out the gla- the axe from the glass, which doesn't exist anymore these days, but whatever. And starts using the axe to just hack away at the ropes that are carrying various things on stage for a theater production, whether it be lights or sandbags Sats. or like, or these fake like bricks that fall from the wall. It's cool. Like I love, and then she, I love that she even turns on the music. She turns on the lights. She wiggles the sheet of metal to make the thunder noises. Bitch, this was a production. Sydney's a theater major now and she needs a production for the final showdown. Oh, you're not letting me perform. So guess what, bitch? I'm still going on stage. As I told Lady Freeze when I pulled the flag, <laughs> this is a one-woman show. <laughs> Sydney was going to have her moment, and she had it. She did have it, and she fights back every the best way that Sid knows how. I love how all of this unfolds. Gail, yeah, I forget she gets shot. I don't know why I always forget that Gail gets shot and that she's here. Because when she comes out for a second, I legitimately thought that Gail was the second killer. Because Mickey does, who's behind door number one? And Gail steps out for two split seconds. Mm -hmm. And then it's Debbie. I was like, no. I thought the same thing, too, when I first watched it. She steps out. And and Sydney's like, Gail, 
And then Gail just looks at her and she nods like, no. And then Debbie Salt comes out. The drama of it all. It's fantastic. It cultivates to a great ending. The, the last of it is just Sid's so fed up with all of this shit. Sid preps her gun again. And she's like, I gotta be ready because they usually get back up. Mickey gets mm -hmm. up stupidly. He literally does a... I know. <laughs> it's so stupid. He got up with so much energy. Like somebody just shot him up with adrenaline, bitch. He came crashing out of the bricks bloody to high hell and somehow had like all the energy whatever it made no sense it didn't make any sense and they easily dispose of him and sid doesn't even wait two seconds she immediately shoots debbie salt in the head just in I'm case glad. i'm glad she learned her lesson i'm glad she learned her lesson but the movie wraps up in a very weird way for me this movie has already been weird we've discussed why because murder we find out who the murderers are cool when the police arrive the next morning, Dewey is revealed to still be alive, and Gail climbs into the ambulance right with him rather than taking the opportunity to report to the cameras on the murders, showing that she cared more for Dewey than for the notoriety she always sought. And Sydney instructs the press to direct questions to Cotton, rewarding him with the fame that he has been chasing or removing the attention away from herself as she leaves the university campus. And then it just ends. Sid ends up alone. Her boyfriend's dead. All of her friends are dead again. Gail and Dewey are somewhere else, and she's literally by herself just wandering the campus. It is the most weird, abrupt conclusion. It was very much like a Twilight Zone ending. I expected the at the end. It is it's pretty weird. fucked up when you explain it like that. Like all her friends are dead. Her boyfriend's dead. Her only two like soul surviving somewhat friends from the first movie just rode off in an ambulance together. Damn near dead themselves. She gets no conclusion. She gets no satisfying result. But it does explain her character arc in three. I was she... just about to say, no wonder she became a shut-in for part three. She I agree. becomes a shut-in and a recluse. That makes sense. But I just wish we could have lent there better. I don't know. I don't know. But in order to find out, let's go to our final scores. And what are we giving this week's flick? Do you want to explain to everybody our new rating system? So, y'all, with our new season comes a new rating system. We are now going to a rent it, return it, or buy it system. Renting it means you like the movie. Returning it means you didn't like it. And buying it means you love it. So what are we going to do for this movie? With this copy of the, our 1997 sequels, Smash, whether you think it is or not, what are you rating it? I am just going to rent it. Even though, even though I did buy it and I do own it. <laughs> not my favorite of the Scream franchise by any means. I want to say it's at the bottom, if not the last. But it's there. It's part of the franchise. I can't deny it. I can't deny watching it because it's still Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson. There are nuggets in there that I love, but by a stretch, it is not my favorite in the series. And I can fully understand why. We've been talking and shredding this movie to all of its plot holes and everything that just doesn't feel right to this movie. So you have every right to rent it. However, I'm still going to buy this movie. I'm of going course. to buy it. And it's mainly due to the fact that there are so many plot holes. I cannot regard the plot holes. But I love Scream 3, and there are a ridiculous amount of plot holes in Scream 3. But Scream 2 was able to really try and catapult off of Scream 1, pay homage to what Scream 1 did. And I think they did it well. And I still think that they tried to do new things. Not all of them worked. 
they they did try to do new things and really tried to up like tension and add storyline. And I have to give credit because this turnaround is fucking ridiculous. Approved in March, went into production in June, July-ish. And then you still shot this out for a theatrical release in December. Holy crap. We could have gotten a way worse movie. And the pl- the stuff that they want to play with, I think is fun. I love the sorority sisters. They're hilarious. The jokes still smash for me. Some of the scares still smash for me. It just gets lost. That's it. She's just, she's not all here. She's just lost. And that's saying it nicely. <laughs> <laughs> But that's it for this week's release. And now let's move on to next week's screening because next week we will be heading into the bizarre and demented world of Rob Zombie's directorial debut. (laughs) Listeners, we will be spending Halloween night in the infamous House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm nervous about this one. I'm not nervous because I enjoy this movie, but I also... Take it at face value. I know what this movie is. I know what it presents. So for anyone who has not seen this movie, please go into it with a grain of salt. And it is at face value, very much like an art house horror film. It almost, all tea, all shade. It's like a a movie I would have made coming out of film school. (laughs) But uh, it's great. I love it. It's got you, did, you can't do you can't you can't you can't do it's this if you don't agree with it, that's fine. But it's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have my Latoya Jackson movement. Shut up, you don't. I will save my feelings for the next one because uh, wow, it's a, it's an adventure. I will say that. But if you would like to keep up with us, please follow the Queens on Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. And my personal account is at STFU Ray. And that concludes this week's episode, y'all. Wee, we hope you had fun. Welcome back to our store. And I cannot wait for the rest of season two. Welcome to our new and improved store. We have new candies. We have new movies new themes guests club another guest another club no sleep another collab another podcast no we're sleep. super stoked we cannot wait to celebrate this halloween season with everybody and welcome back at our lovely queerdos it feels great to be back just in time for spooky season so we cannot wait to kick off this season with y'all we have a lot in store and We will catch you on the flip side, y'all. Catch you on the next one. Bye, 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 bye.